Hello everyone, my name is Maciej Nowak and welcome to the Awesome to Know podcast where we discuss all things WordPress. My today's guest is Roger Rosweiden, co-founder of Wildcloud, which is a WordPress multi-tenant platform. And this conversation will be a bit different than the previous ones because we talk a lot about the business side of building a product within WordPress ecosystem. For example, we dive deep into what taking investment from Emilia Capital meant for Wildcloud and how it changed them. Or what are the lessons learned from burning through $50,000 in missed marketing activities? If you don't want to miss new episodes and keep learning more about WordPress, subscribe to Awesome to Know newsletter at awesomestudio.com slash newsletter. This is osomstudio.com slash newsletter. If you watch this on YouTube, give us a thumb and subscribe to the channel. This means a world to us. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Roger Rosweide. everyone, it's good to have you here. We're glad you decided to tune in for this episode of the Awesome to Know podcast. Hi, Roger. Thank you very much for uh, being on the pod. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. I wanted to have you on the pod because for, for mainly for two reasons. Reason number one is uh, we had uh, Vainant a couple of months ago, like a year ago right now. And from what I'm seeing and observing from the sidelines, a ton of stuff has happened uh, over the time. And the reason number two is uh, you post interesting stuff on LinkedIn. And this is, you know, uh, a, a little bit of a, like a different mindset when it comes to um, WordPress environment, WordPress community. So I would like to dig into this as well. So these are two reasons. And I think let's start with the reason number one. So what happened uh, during that that year? I should say quite a lot. And uh, and thank you, by the way, for, for noticing the slightly different angle with which we create social media content. It is something that I've noticed is um, pretty different from what most people uh, post about. But to get back to your question, the, the biggest things I think we changed is in chronological order, we changed our pricing. And this has been something that has been a big obstacle and still is an obstacle when it comes to positioning our platform. The second thing is we changed our name, um, which was another obstacle that we found was confusing a lot of people. And then the third thing is we added a feature we call Blueprints. Basically what it does is it immediately sets up a pre-configured website as a service or WordPress-based SaaS. Because for the longest time, we thought we wanted to give people a completely blank canvas so that they can build whatever, because that's the possibility of our platform. But in practicality, it only confused people because they weren't sure what they could build. So we basically had to Where give to them start. examples. Yeah, yeah, great, great. And um, but not, not. I think this is not all uh, because you got investment from Yoast, right? Right. Yes. Yes. And this is also something I'd like to um, touch upon. And because when I was talking with Vainant, and let's start with the name. <clears throat> when I was talking with Vainant, I always struggled to I recall what's the company behind, you know, what's the name of the company? So this is very interesting. And we, we are guilty of this too. When, when we started our business 11 years ago, the name was terrible, unwritenable. Like you, you couldn't just write it from... <laughs> from from uh, either memory or or just phonetically and we then rebranded so uh, i i feel your pain and uh, you are lucky that you made this decision earlier than we did so you know i i wonder how did you um came up with the decision what was the process because this is very i would say first of all risky in a sense that um you have to make a big decision and you don't know what what will be the reaction? So I, I, I wonder what was the reasoning behind it? It's a great question. And, and interestingly enough, it ties into your previous comments about Yoast joining us as an investor, or rather the founders behind the Yoast SEO plugin, because it's Yoast and his wife, Marika. Um, when we started building our platform, it was essentially a tool for ourselves. 
And we just wanted to be able to streamline the development of all of our sites and create this serverless platform so that we don't have to worry about hosting and be able to sell them automatically. And pretty soon, and we just refer to it as uh, WP Cloud Space. That was, that was like the internal name for it. And then at some point, we had a lot of reactions from people that we knew in Amsterdam that worked at agencies, basically complaining that we now had this product that was competing with what they were doing because we were able to sell sites for much cheaper and scale up much faster than they would. So that's when we started turning it into a platform. And WP Cloud Space was just a too long of a name. And at the time, our strategy was that we wanted to basically fly under the radar. We wanted to give other agencies the opportunity to claim the platform as, it, as if it's their own. They build the product. We only provide the platform. Our platform in and of itself is not a solution. It's what you build on the platform that is the solution for the end user. So we didn't want to claim that much uh, visibility. So we came up with WPCS, right? So WP Cloud Space became WPCS. And um, my technical co-founder, Wijnand, who you spoke, he was the originator of the entire platform. So we jokingly always said the WPCS stands for Wijnand's personal cloud server. So I that's kind it. of how, <laughs> yeah, that's how, <laughs> that's how we started with the name, at least. And we always knew that it was a sucky name. So we, so we, so we launched a new uh, uh, company entity for it. And I was kind of like anticipating that we would at some point change the name. So we called the entity WildCloud Limited. That was the, the name of the entity. I was kind of already aware that at some point we were going to change the name. But then we got our first investors and we started scaling and we kind of forgot that we ever wanted to change our name, even though we always knew that people found it confusing and always ha had a hard time remembering it. And then we started talking to Yoast and we really wanted to get him on board as an investor simply because he has so much experience. And um, then he made it very clear that if he was going to join as an investor, there were a couple of requirements that we had to meet. And the biggest one was absolutely changing the name. Was it really on his list that the name has to change? Yeah, absolutely. It was like a like oh, wow. a hard requirement. And I was happy. Like that was that was the, the the thing I've always wanted to do, but we were always kind of just like pushing it to the future because we didn't want to we thought that it was maybe a luxury we didn't have to afford at the moment or hoping at least. And um so now Yoast is on board and we have to change the name. So we did a survey to find out uh, how people are using our platform and how they're describing our platform in their own words. And what we found out is that m many of the people actually weren't aware that essentially it's a hosting platform. Like you host the sites, that is what we charge for at the end of the day. And um, so we came up with the idea that we had to put cloud in the name. So to make it clear that it's at least a cloud platform. And then actually my other co-founder started saying, hey, look, we should call it wild cloud. And I was so happy because that's always been our, our legal name. So. The change is actually a very simple change to make in that sense. But we did actually base it on actual research. I had a sense that it might be tied to to, to Yoast investing in, in, in you because it, it, from what I'm observing from, again, outside from social media, there is Yoast investment. And with this, there is a huge change. It's like, you know, um, if you look at the timeline of what you are doing on LinkedIn, it is... Before Yoast and after Yoast, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I I don't want to put too too much emphasis emphasize on this, but you no, know, just from outside, it looks like it, 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 like the game has changed totally. Now you have much different branding. For example, on on your social media, there is a branding actually, <laughs> and and this is very interesting. And um, um, before we dig it there, I I want to circle circle back still to that name. So why do you keep still by WPCS in the name? Isn't like a, isn't it like too, playing it too safe? Well, no. Um, so the only reason we put by WPCS now is because it's a transition period. Uh, obviously, we've done many podcasts, blog articles, uh, affiliate deals, and they all list WPCS. And we can't know for sure um, if they've changed the name in their articles and whatnot. So therefore, we want to keep some type of coherent coherence with our previous name. But in, say, like six months from now, we'll just drop it completely and we'll just go by WildCloud from then on out. 
Yeah, well, to maybe immediately get into the other comment you made about uh, before Yoast and after Yoast, it is completely true. So Yoast had a couple of hard requirements, right? So one of them being that we had to change the name. The other one was that um, Yoast is a developer and he's very familiar with the architecture that we've introduced to WordPress, which is multi-tenancy, and he understands what we do completely. But his wife... Marika, she's always been the head of marketing of Yoast, and she is proud of the fact that she's not a developer and she doesn't understand as much about WordPress as he does. So she's able to look at it from a more objective perspective, and she can actually talk to more different types of WordPress people without getting too technical. And so she was very clear on the fact that our branding and our positioning and our user experience was very much focused on developers. It was way, way, way too technical. Our plat- our website was immediately explaining all the features where we should have been focusing on the benefits and the problem that we're solving. And um, it's it's actually a little embarrassing because when we had the agency, we actually specialized in branding. And that's the one thing that we basically forgot in our own platform. But it's also because you're switching from an agency to a product and you have to completely reorganize so we came up with this branding and then we kind of just forgot about it. So after they joined us as investors, we started this very intense project of trying to figure out what our branding actually is and how we should actually position ourselves. And that resulted in changing our design, changing our name, changing our website, changing our user journeys, changing the layouts of the platform itself. And so it basically gave us all these assets that we're still building and improving upon, all these different content strategy ideas that we're now executing. Um, and yeah, you're, you're right, it completely sparked with Joost and, and Marika joining us. When you're thinking about investments, is it money or is it smart money, you know, or is it money and smart money and connections? So I wonder, I, I, I see now this is not only like financial investment, but also knowledge investment in you that you are totally different, uh, you know, company from the outlook. Um, what else did they bring uh, with, with their with their investment? Well, to, um, to properly discuss the addition of Yoast and Marika, um, I kind of have to explain our investment strategy a little better uh, because we've been very strategic. Um, when we started raising capital, we did so at the height of the bubble. So getting investment was very easy. It's completely different now. But at the time, we had a very easy uh, run of it. So we started talking to, I think, 20 investors and then also a couple of traditional hosting companies. So the biggest hosting companies you can imagine, we spoke with them. And pretty soon we realized that we didn't know the WordPress space as well as we thought. So we weren't exactly sure which doors would close if we ended up choosing an investor that closes doors, like they take a particular side. And we weren't sure yet. Like we just couldn't make that decision. We hadn't had it completely seen the entire landscape. So eventually we chose initially a German investment, uh, like a VC firm that is founded by Axel Springer, which is like a huge German media company, like the biggest in in Europe, really, and Porsche, the car. So those two together created a a VC, and we joined them because they have this internal, um, they call it, I don't think they call it an accelerator, but it's basically like a training program that teaches you exactly the ins and outs of raising funds, raising capital. So they won't exactly help you with building your company, but more understanding how this business works. So that's what we did. And then afterwards, with that new knowledge, we also um, had a Dutch VC come on board. And so both these companies are very industry agnostic, which means that they'll invest in anything they think has potential to scale up and become a unicorn. And that's exactly, at the end of the day, what we actually truly believe in, because we truly want to fortify WordPress and actually make it more robust by opening up this new landscape in which you can actually build stuff. So we believe that the next frontier of WordPress is SaaS development. And so obviously for investors, that sounds very attractive because the SaaS uh, market is growing by 80, 18% or 28% per year. 
uh, and it's like a it's like it's it's going to increase in in ten more in ten billion more in the next ten years, or something like that. I had had all these numbers uh, researched, but obviously you forget about them. Anyways, um, so that's when we started choosing the agnostic investors, and after about two years of you know playing in the ecosystem and getting to know all these companies, we actually realized that there are a couple of WordPress veterans that if you join with them, it doesn't close any doors. These guys have a reputation so good, you can basically just go with them and um, you can still work with anybody. And Yoast is obviously at the top of that list. He's, I think, one of the most well-loved people in WordPress and uh, like a, an incredibly smart guy. And I was actually already um, connected with him and I spoke with him on a weekly basis way before he ever joined as an investor. And so when we did start that conversation, it was... We didn't have to completely get used to each other or, or understand what we were doing. I think it's something that has had crossed his mind already, and he was just waiting for us to reach out. And so it was um, a completely like a, a marriage of uh, information, experience, and connections. And that's exactly what we needed at that point. Mm -hmm. I, I love this. I really love this because this is this seems very natural um, that this all happened very natural. And um, I also noticed that uh, you you somehow um, started cooperation with Great, and uh, we had uh, Jakob uh, on 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 the podcast, um, one of the very initial very first guests. So thanks, uh, Jacob, for the trust. <laughs> and when I was speaking with him, and then later with Vainant, I, I thought these guys should talk and i never made the connection you know i i have never uh, like connected you guys and and when i saw this on linkedin that you started cooperation i thought this the, the, this was uh, meant to be really so i did did you met on wordcamp how did it start yeah it's actually it's it's a really funny story because um it's almost like a like a hollywood love <laughs> like like a rom-com um we went to wordcamp uh, Athen uh, europe in athens and one of my co-founders, Sebron, he walked past their booth, but they weren't there. They had already left. It was Saturday afternoon. And apparently they had seen my presentation because I was a speaker. But at the moment, they couldn't reach out to me and talk to me directly. So both of us were aware of each other, but we didn't quite understand what we were doing. Uh, but they listened to my speech. And if you talk to Mark, the CEO of Great. He has this post on LinkedIn where he said, the moment he heard me speak, he was like, he had the idea that we were kindred spirits. Like he calls it two sides of the same metal. And it's completely true. Like the problems we solve are exactly in the same logic. We just solve different problems for different areas of WordPress, but they interlock like perfectly. Like it's just a perfect puzzle that's being laid. And I can, I can give you an example. Uh, for example, in the in the context of Black Friday, how we're how we're working together right now, um, but at the time, yeah, we couldn't really make a connection. So eventually, Sebrin reached out to them as they were probably like typing up a message to us as well. And from there, we started uh, discussing a, an integration. And having integration partnerships is something that we truly believe in because I think that the WordPress ecosystem is strong because we are a chain. And we together can be something great. And uh, in and of itself, one single party shouldn't really be solving all the problems, I believe. Um, but this has been by far the fastest integration that we've built. It took us only a couple of weeks and it works flawlessly. Mm -hmm. uh, is this only integration or is it more... Because it, it wasn't very clear from the uh, like announcement. Is it just technical integration, right? So um, for those people listening and who are thinking, what the hell is WildCloud and what the hell is Grade? Um, so WildCloud is essentially a hosting platform where all the sites that you spin up share the same code base. And so it's hosted on a, on a cloud platform, which is multi-tenant. And it basically means that your individual websites are isolated and they can scale up independently without you having to worry about server stuff. But you can still centrally maintain and improve all your sites as one. And you can do this on a code level. So on our websites, the databases are separate. And that is so that you don't accidentally overwrite any of the changes that your customers might have made. But you centralize the code, right? 
Grade does exactly the same thing, but on a database level. So they leave alone the code. They don't do hosting, but you can connect multiple sites and push content to different modules on different sites. And so you can imagine that this works really well if, for example, you have um, a franchise or a chain of restaurants, or if you have multiple blog websites where you basically want to swap out certain footers or content modules. And um, it is an integration in a sense that on our platform, if you spin up sites that have grade as the foundation, the sites automatically connect. And we do this via an integration where we swap out PHP constants. And so the sites are always immediately connected to the master site, which means from the master site, you can send out different code changes. And so to put this in, uh, in an actual scenario, we've launched a website called wpdealhub.com. And it's basically a, a co-promotion for Black Friday. So currently we have 20 WordPress product companies and you basically fill out a form where you give us the details of your Black Friday deal. And then afterwards, we create an individual website where all the deals for all the companies are listed. But this individual website, you have your own branding, your own design, you can put up your own logo. But the only thing you can change is the plugins, the theme files, so the actual theme that's been chosen, and the content. So you can design it in your in your in your font and your colors and whatnot, but you can't change the content because we centrally add deals to all the sites at the same time whenever a new deal comes comes in. And so the 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 goal of this co-promotion is that basically all the deal partners get their own link, and it could be your own domain link. So it could be deals.osomestudio.com, for example. And we control basically all the deals that are listed. And so therefore we can immediately add more deals. You just uh, share your link with um, uh, your audience and then all the other partners will do the same thing with their link, promoting you in the process. And so the reason why this works so well is because we can immediately spin up new sites as people make an entry and then also update all the deals as one. And therefore I can just do it in like two minutes and, uh, and control 20 sites that we have right now, and we're going to have more. So again, it's like a technical integration, but it's also a, a way of thinking. And that is part of the entire partnership. Yeah, great. And uh, great. And great is written with D at the end. <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. an awesome, <laughs> awesome studio written OSOM, and they are uh, great with uh, G-R-E-Y-D. And, and I love their name too. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that that's that's a great example and um i i also wonder because it seems like these partnerships are flourishing only re recently again something that i have a feeling again like you switched gears re recently so before i don't know if this like the capital that uh, let you do this or you started to uh, like have a movement like a tempo you started instead of walking you are now running the this much is happening so i wonder if there are any uh any like inside inside wp uh, again a recent integration do i get this right yeah true true we um just announced this integration last uh, a soft launch last week to our own internal network and then actually this week to the entire like ecosystem um, but you're right. I think we definitely started running in the summer. Um, and it's not that much to do with Yoast, I think. It's just that we really started to get the hang of it. And maybe it's also Yoast in the sense that him joining as an investor gave us a huge confidence boost. And we mm -hmm. can now really quickly iterate on ideas because every time we have an idea, we can just ask his advice. And then immediately we know if we're moving in the right direction or not. Um, so I wouldn't say that now he's like for some reason a sort of mastermind uh, controlling what we do, but it's like super helpful to have mentors who can just kind of uh, be your sparring partner as you come up with your own ideas. At the same time, um, last year we were already completely scalable, but there were a couple of core features that we really wanted to get right. 
for example, the uh, the API that we had, people could still could use it, but we didn't have our own storefront that people could use to sell sites automatically. Um, we were uh, we had different data centers all over the globe, but we didn't have a central hub where we could control all the Kubernetes clusters and send them over to different data centers. So having had all, so working on that complete foundation and and having that ready was just before the summer. And then we just like went for it. And you can see it in our growth numbers as well. They doubled uh, our conversion rates, also doubled. And um, that's, yeah, it's been it's been going quite well so far. Yeah, fingers crossed to, to keep the momentum because this is like ple- pleasure to, to, to watch, especially because, you know, I'm referring all the time to like previous time because, you know, we, we, we talked to Vainant and for me, it's a situation in which I can observe, you know, a growing company, a growing startup from, from the very beginning. So I see what you did a year ago, uh, because I remember and see how this develops, um, as even something like a case study, you know, for me, it's like observing, uh, uh, a case study being written very, very slowly, you know, over the months, but it's a growing, growing process. So this is like very interesting for me to, uh, <laughs> to observe this, how, how you are developing in which direction. And also, um, you know, uh, finishing, uh, finishing the, um, the topic of investments, I wonder, because from, again, from my, my personal perspective, there aren't many, first, first of all, a bigger big organizations in WordPress space apart from a couple of agencies just like a handful of agencies and and maybe a couple of uh, WordPress companies like you know uh, Osomotive for example and 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 Automatic obviously there is not many big organizations and also there is or I don't see this um, many investments in the space like it's not popular concept uh, to have an investor or or a, like an ongoing partner uh, that would help you or, or, or merging forces, um, it's rare. Whereas in other, let's say, SaaS areas, it's, it's very common. It's like uh, the way, like default way to go. And I'm not judging which one is better, but making an observation. And I'm curious about your opinion, why this is the case. And if it is the case in your opinion, <laughs> I completely feel that this is the case. Um, and I should say that um, there's a very clear explanation for it. And I'm trying to choose my words a little careful uh, because I don't want to come off. Offend, not to offend anyone or... <laughs> yeah, well, or, or I, because, no, I want to like preemptively state that we started building our platform as a way to scratch our own itch. And I think that's how most successful products or just most businesses, um, you know, come about. And can you explain what do you mean by this? So we, at, we, at some point we had like tens of, um, websites for gyms and restaurants, right? So let's say like, I don't know how many they were, but let's say we had 20 websites for restaurants. And what we noticed is that the first website we ever made for a restaurant was not the same code stack as we did for the 20th site. And so obviously you sell your sites, or rather you sell your customers, you sell them maintenance. But if you develop your skills, and website number 20 is a much more elegant representation of your skill set, website number one is never going to live up to that because your customers aren't paying for that anymore. So you're not going to update those sites to reflect your latest uh, style and your latest um, uh, qualities. And that, that's, that's actually a problem because if you want to individually manage all those sites, then you always have to kind of think back to, okay, so what did I do for the first website and for the second and for the third What are the exceptions? What are the edge cases? If I update this plugin, will it destroy anything from my sites? It's not straightforward, right? So developing 20 sites is not that hard, but if you want to continuously improve them, then you have to dedicate individual hours to individual projects. And that for us was like a real pain in the ass. Like you're basically just thinking in the in the past and you're hating what you did back then because it was old work. So it's never good, right? You're never satisfied. But also, you don't have the time to then bring them up to the same level. 
So we wanted to have a platform where we could basically let our existing customers benefit from everything that we did while we were improving ourselves. And we wanted to do that for the same price as they were paying for maintenance. And so the answer that we came up, came up with is multi-tenant WordPress. Because multi-tenant WordPress means you share the same code base for all of your sites. So if I share a single code base and I improve upon it, then all my customers benefit. And this is basically the SaaS model, right? If I sell Notion, I'm looking at my Notion uh, app right now, uh, to customer number one, and then to customer number 1000, they all share the same code base. So the people over at Notion, they improve the product and they roll out new features to all the customers at the same time. We have the same methodology and it's never been done before. But just that it's never been done before doesn't mean that it's automatically going to be a super successful co uh, company with a high potential of scalability, therefore attracting a lot of investors. In order to be attractive to investors, you have to make it feasible that you can become like this incredible multiplier in, in revenue. And that only works if your total addressable market is large enough. And so we just happened to stumble upon a platform where the total addressable market is that big, because at the end of the day, we have a platform where every agency in the entire world can build a website as a service for their niche. They can, all the agencies that we speak to can adopt a website as a service model. That's our luck, you could say, because we didn't do that on purpose. But if you, for example, make an add-on for WooCommerce that lets you streamline the checkout page, but only for particular um, B2B products that work in the electrical space, I mean, these, these plugins exist, right? Then an investor is not quickly going to invest in that because the total addressable market is, is way smaller. Um, that's not to say that your company is you know, doomed to never have that type of investor success. It just means that you have to expand your strategy and you have to make it very clear while you're starting with this product and then next there's going to be another bigger product and then there's going to be a bigger product and this is going to have this over-encompassing strategy. If we look at uh, InstaWP, for example, this started out as a simple service where you could quickly launch a site that you had been building uh, just to test stuff. And I, I can, I'm happy to count Vikas as one of my close friends, so I know how he developed his thinking. And so that became a platform where you could demo sites if you were a product company. And that became a platform where you could develop those sites very easily. And that became a platform where you could connect those demo sites to an existing hosting company where they could live permanently. So the vision has always been expanding. And this has been sort of loosely in his mind from the get-go, not completely, because obviously you change your mind as you grow, as you learn new stuff. But he's a visionary, and this has always been like generally his idea. So you can start small, but the vision has to be grand in order to really attract those um, um, institutional investors. And that is, I think quite the opposite of how the WordPress ecosystem has thought so far, because there are a lot of really smart people that are selflessly working on the WordPress project, but inherently to that mindset is not necessarily a very like monetary, product-driven, expansive like SaaS mindset. That's just not how WordPress has developed. And fortunately so, because now we have this really vibrant, strong WordPress open source community. Um, but if we want to compete with Shopify and Wix and Squarespace, it's time to adjust our mindset and start thinking along those lines as well. It doesn't have to like overtake each other, uh, but I think there should be a healthy balance between the open source community and the... Yeah, the people who are also trying to grow the ecosystem because currently it's not really growing. I think this is a bit of a paradox that you have a, such a huge space, which is WordPress, you know, 
40% of uh, of websites out there and, and at the same time it's made by millions uh, you know of contributors in a sense that you know developers inside agencies not only you know open source contributors but you know every developer every freelancer every plugin builder is contributing to the uh, bigger wordpress ecosystem and yet it's a model in which there are millions of tiny like like plankton players individual contributors without big organizations so it's like it's so granular that it from this dust are there are not many like stars born you know what i mean these should converge into bigger organizations you know uh, by the force of of gravity of 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 attraction and it is not so it's like you know it's like an ant colony building something huge but with tiny tiny contributions like those grains or grains of 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 sand this is just as it is but i'm i'm like flabbergasted that this is not um concentrating you know that, that there is like very limited number of bigger organizations and bigger means like 200 people this is in wordpress this is like enormous you know big is like i don't know in other companies it 200 people is not not so big it's like it's medium to small even it's on 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 the bring between small and medium companies so it's like a totally different um model of operating in wordpress and anywhere else it's like if you enter wordpress you are deciding to be to be tiny right it's like (laughs) this this is my impression of being inside wordpress space for for a couple of years now and you know I, I I'm curious why this is the case. Well, um, one of the reasons one of the reasons I think is um, the WordPress project has been quite slow in bringing a well-working Gutenberg to market. Um, it's like um, it's like when we introduce calculators to children's math, right? We were afraid that children would no longer children would no longer be able to do like easy calculations, but in practice, the math classes actually became more complex because they don't have to do the easy stuff anymore. So if we're all still working on products that help us post better blogs, then the ecosystem in and of itself is not really progressing at a rapid pace. Like at the end of the day, what we want to do is we want to build more complex more performant websites. We want to expand the number of use cases, which is also why we're so much pushing towards uh, SaaS applications alongside websites. But if we're all competing to be the best theme or the best page builder, then there's really not much progression. Fortunately now, Gutenberg is basically the calculator for us all. Like as the functionalities of Gutenberg are, are expanding, it's pushing to those companies that are basically threatened by it. And this is definitely uh, an, an existential problem for many WordPress companies. But at the same time, it also raises the bar. Like you now have to do more and more complex stuff. And I see this up as an opportunity because now we don't have to do as much anymore to put some starting value in, inside of your WordPress installation. Because I think that's that's a big problem that I think has... Uh, halted many WordPress projects is you have the the famous five-minute install, which is way too long. And then you have an empty WordPress installation where you still have to install all of your plugins and you have to build some pages and you have to select your theme. And then you haven't even talked about the performance uh, plugins or the security stuff. And so basically what you want to do is you want to have all of that as the default and then build from there. And... um, Pantheon, the CTO of Pantheon, I had a conversation with him the other day, and he, they, they have this great mission statement, and they're all about speed of execution. And I think in our industry, and I'm not just talking WordPress, I'm not talking CMS, but I'm talking the website builder platform. So again, I'm talking Shopify. I'm also talking Bubble, where you can build uh, SaaS applications. What, what they excel at is introducing new features that enable people to build better stuff faster. And um, I think WordPress is picking up steam. And I think the vision is now finally becoming clear and the iterations are going faster and faster. 
but this has been a struggle for the longest time and uh, I'm, I'm actually glad to see what's happening right now do you have any opinion about why this is the case that this is only a recent development in terms of vision or pressure to shift things faster what changed in your opinion um honestly i think it's i think it's money i think money started becoming a bigger issue a couple of people made a big exit and they now have cash so they're putting it back into the ecosystem but also there was this trend of hosting companies buying product companies which i think in and of itself is a pretty bad idea because you're cannibalizing on your own marketing channels so if a hosting company buys a plugin for example then other hosting companies are no longer going to promote that plugin so it's not necessarily a, a, a good development for the for the ecosystem overall but it also can i can i jump in so is this a situation in which to which you referred when talking about choosing investor like carefully in order to avoid closing the doors absolutely okay yeah yeah and so um the the um, the incentive for hosting companies to buy product companies is pretty obvious hosting companies in and of itself aren't very innovative they don't they don't commonly have uh product teams they don't build new stuff they only buy new stuff so they just buy users by buying plugin companies basically and that's how they try to get more revenue and that's not really that's not contribution right so in order to i think combat that and to have a more healthy balance where the ecosystem is actually innovative again um i think people just started to pick up steam because the last thing you want is a hosting company with a lot of money but with very few ideas buying all the plugins and then nothing's really happening anymore it's kind of just uh, puts it on on a, in a in a in a mexican standoff you could say mm okay that that's very interesting that's very interesting and um we 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 referred in fact to uh, you know um, you're picking investors and this touches on let's say making decisions and i wonder what are you know like flops in 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 white cloud in terms of um i don't know initiatives for example for mar marketing initiatives because you mentioned this on your linkedin and i'd like to circle um, like um circle to it because this was very interesting because you also shared numbers and this is not very common <laughs> to share numbers of exact like exact numbers of exact losses over bad ideas and are, uh, would you like to like go over it uh, for our listeners yeah absolutely let's do it actually let me pull this up because uh, i don't remember yeah, the order in which i posted it uh, and i'm happy to uh, to provide more details because And as I'm looking for it, uh, let me let me provide some additional context. I think, um, and I and I'm I'm guilty of this as well. Like it's very easy to only share the wins. And um, I was actually listening to a podcast by Stephen Bartlett, uh, who is uh, who does a podcast called Diary of a of a CEO, and he's an English. Uh, investor and uh, and business uh, founder. He's very successful, and um, they were talking about multiple statements by big corporations like Amazon and Spotify and um, and Netflix as well, um, where they where the owners or the CEOs of the companies basically got upset if too many things went right, because what they excel at is the speed at which they fail. So they want to fail as much as they can and then quickly uh, bounce back from it because it's actually the failures that bring you the most uh, insights. And um, I think that's something that a lot of people try to rather, it looks like they're overlooking how, mu how much value you can get from, I think it's this one, we made three wrong investments. I think it's very important to share the failures because... Um, It has been the personal dramas in my life that has that have made me a more empathetic human being, and I think it's the business failures that have made me a more um, uh, a more balanced, more experienced in, in entrepreneur. 
Uh, I was, I, I, I'm actually following a course right now to put simple concepts into simple, uh, rather to put complex concepts into simple visuals. And I've been trying to find a visual that I can easily draw to showcase how my journey as an entrepreneur, where we have a company that's taking a lot of risk, is not because I am in and of, its, of, of myself an impulsive risk taker. I actually have a very uh, balanced grounded life. Like I wake up at six in the morning, I go to the gym, I've had a girlfriend for seven years. Mm. Uh, I save a lot of my money, even though I don't uh, give myself or give ourselves a lot of uh, salary. Like you try to minimize the risks in many areas in your life so that you can actually take risks in other areas. And I think it's the same with your mistakes. Like you have to not be afraid to make uh, to make mistakes as long as you can actually make the mistakes and bounce back from them. Mm, I like it. I, I really like it, like it. And to your point, I have a, a rolling joke with my one of my friends. He's a lawyer and have a couple of um, employees that all of those mistakes is, is just yet just another class in the uh, university of business. <laughs> you know, it's it's like life course, and if with every mistake, with every drama, you learn and you try to avoid next mistake uh, of this kind. But there is always a mistake around the corner waiting for you to take that corner absolutely man and on that on that note um there's definitely um a pattern in my mistakes and um that is being impatient like you have to um you know a lot of business gurus will talk about consistency being the key to success and i completely believe that but in order to be consistent you have to cultivate patience and that, that's not necessarily one of my strengths. It's, I'm not inherently patient uh, or, or intrinsically patient. And so if I look at the, the three investments that costed us $50,000, um, so the first one is hiring an SDR agency to do cold sales. Um, and obviously they do cold sales on your ideal customer profile. But the moment we hired them, we only did our first $1,000 in recurring revenue. So you can imagine that you have no idea who your ICP is at that point. But us being impatient, we had this general idea and general idea resulted in five different ICPs that we gave them as a briefing. I mean, we shouldn't we should have known. Only? Only yeah. five? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, this was after shortlisting them, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think we started with like 12 or something. It was so silly if you think oh, about that, it. That's moderate still. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not joking anymore. I, I, I'm not you know, putting finger into that wound <laughs> anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and so the second one was uh, scaling up our paid ads. Um, so, and this is uh, interesting because uh, Mark, the CEO of Great, commented on this uh, post as well, uh, saying that they had a similar problem. So Sebron and I, we are the commercial co-founders of the company. And um, our marketing agency has always been good at doing paid ads. And this is like... Our, our comfort zone. So Sebron and I started making a lot of ads and we were always very proud of our cost per lead and our trial uh, two trial conversion rate. And we were always like bragging about it. And then after a couple of months, we realized that we weren't converting those people to customers. And there were a couple of reasons for it. First off, we had a 30 day free trial, which is insanely long if you think about it. Like it's just Insane, but we had it for 30 days. Um, and then we had a usage-based pricing model, which means that you only get your first invoice 30 days after you start paying because we calculated after the usage of the month. So it meant that 60 days after your initial sign-up, did we know whether you became a customer or not? So it took us two months to uh, take learnings from every ad campaign we had. So. The first two months, you're like, okay, well, this is probably fine. Let's do a little tweaking here and there. And then another two months go by. And you're like, okay, well, not really sure, but let's do this here and then do another tweak. And so this is how six months go by where you basically have three iteration moments before you realize that you're overspending on ads and you're underperforming on your top of uh, bottom of funnel. And so this is when we realized that we had to get complete control over the funnel uh, so we brought our free trial from 30 days to seven days. And then you pay for your service fee at the end of seven days, which is $5 per month. It's nothing. 
But for us, it provides insight into whether or not you're committed to becoming a customer or not. So for, for a customer, it's almost not an investment at all. But for us, it is huge value in deciding whether or not we're doing the right things. So we basically brought our delta for learning from, from 60 days back to seven days. So now we can actually iterate on campaigns every week. And um, that's something that we introduced when we changed our pricing. Um, and it's been insane. But yeah, I mean, at, during that time, we wasted 25K on ads, basically. And then finally... Can I comment on it? Because you mentioned that you your 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 time to let's say knowledge, time to knowledge, let's call it time uh, TTK uh, uh, of running these ads were sixty days, and uh, th this is this is for the ads only. But I'm also thinking about cash flow where. Uh, customer starts at day zero and you are uh, getting money at uh, day six, 60 um, and this is very very long and um, this is yet another problem not from marketing perspective because this you already mentioned but from let's say running a business if you are extending your um, the time before you will receive the money as well absolutely man yeah that's a very clear uh, that's a very uh, good addition to the to one of the problems that we identified. We were basically, um, we, we, we basically realized that we were limiting our own growth because we were attracting the users, we were onboarding them, we were making them successful, and then we artificially made them pay later. Um, and there was no need for it. It was basically our own, um, you could say, lack of self-confidence like we wanted to show the well the the value of our platform so badly that we were willing to shoot ourselves in the in the legs in the process and when we found out that our retention was uh 96 so our like churn was lower than four percent or sometimes four percent depending on the month obviously but like on average four percent and that Hosting, like normal hosting companies have 40% churn in the first month alone. So they have this insane churn rate. And we didn't know that at the beginning because we didn't identify as hosting companies. So we didn't necessarily compare ourselves. We didn't benchmark with other hosting companies. And um, as you grow and you start talking to hosting companies, you identify their problems. You're like, hey, fuck, we're doing something totally different and it's actually working. And when we did notice that we were having this great retention, That's when we knew that we could definitely lower the free trial and, and do these things differently. But this is something you grow into and you build more confidence as you as you learn. Uh, and it's not something that, I mean, obviously I lie in bed and I ask myself, why didn't we come up with this stuff sooner um, all the time? But at the end of the day, it's- just, Really? Yeah. But, but aren't you thinking that, you know, okay, this is very costly, but very important lesson because, you know, you, you could learn this uh, faster, but, you know, at the end of the day, you learn that that stuff. Or, you know, um, during that process, uh, because I'm, 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 I have a feeling that this is a more complex one that uh, only running the ads, because previously you had that agency running for leads uh, with uh, five uh, personas. Uh, I think you augmented this with running ads for five personas too, because why not? Uh, so, so this is a more complex problem that, okay, we just run ads and this was um, too long, long a process uh, for getting the information back then because in the meantime you started talking with hosting companies. Otherwise you wouldn't, uh, I'm, I'm, like, it's, it's like talking about something that never happened, but you could have never learned about, you know, uh, You'd never ben you could have never benchmarked yourself against hosting companies. So uh, even though you count it as a failure and this is, it's not a great success, there is a huge uh, wisdom gained by the organization from doing that exercise, in my opinion. Well, I mean, you're totally right. And maybe this is the moment where I explained that Dutch people have a, a, like a very different way of um, uh, having this inner but also outer dialogue. Uh, Dutch people are known for being very direct, sometimes even harsh, without intending it that personal or that uh, serious. But they, like Dutch people like to be um, uh, very clear on what has happened because we all want to be on the same page. We all want to be honest. 
we don't necessarily want to hurt feelings, but definitely they don't take precedent over the results. So when I say that I often think to myself, I wish I had learned this sooner, I don't mean that I'm beating myself up, up for it. It doesn't like keep me awake at night or I don't hate myself for it. But one of the biggest things that I've learned is that uh, if you're building a company that is doing something unique, there are a million ways of doing it wrong. And there's only a couple of ways to do it right. And if something is not working, just like don't let it fester. Don't uh, just let it be. Don't assume that other people will take action. Immediately put it out there. Discuss it. Even if you then conclude generally that it's still a good idea to pursue the strategy for a little longer. But don't uh, like uh, just uh, gaslight it. Or don't... don't um, um, like actually say what it is and naming it what it is, meaning it is a failure. It is something that we have to learn from. Uh, don't try to save or spare each other's feelings for it. For me is, is challenging because you kind of have to always um, obviously try to navigate the communication and the balance and the, and the, and the, and the, and the group dynamics but being clear on it, that it's a failure and not, you know, something that we've, obviously you learn from it, but you don't have to beat yourself up for it. I think that's important. Um, so that's what I meant with that. Yeah. And you, you mentioned that uh, one right way, my million wrong ways. And this is something similar to what one famous person has written, that there there are... Um, there's one model for a happy family and and I think it was like every uh, unhappy family is unhappy in it own in their own way but happy families happy the way the happy families are you know I I, I totally ruined it but you know this is uh, um it, it, it is very very deep and 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 what you said is also very interesting um about these um failures um and I wonder what is the um, number f uh, failure number three because there, there were three mentioned, <laughs> right? Um, and I think this goes back to on the one hand being impatient, and on the other hand um, lacking self confidence. So the failure number three was hiring a consultant to devise a strategy for the wrong audience. So obviously. The keyword here is consultant and wrong audience because we hadn't pinpointed our ideal profile, uh, ideal customer profile yet, and also we felt like we needed a consultant to tell us what to do. And I think this also goes back to uh, calling out failures and then making a conscious decision to learn from them and not to fester in them and let them overtake you. Uh, I think actually identifying failures makes you more resilient, but only if you identify it as a failure. Because we actually realized that we know much more about the industry than we thought. We actually have a pretty clear vision and a pretty clear opinion. And even though we're relatively new to the ecosystem, uh, we do bring a wealth of experience from other areas that we're now incorporating into the WordPress uh, field. And so it, it cost us 10K. We ended up doing nothing for it. Uh, it was a market we didn't actually want to be in. And um, it... I mean, it's a like again. It's a it's a it's a lesson that costs you 10k, and then you know for a fact how you want to spend the rest of your money, or new money that comes in. But um, I think that's what I think that maybe was the moment where we started believing in our own strength more because we saw the vision and we saw the strategy and we we're like, ah, we could have come up with that ourselves. Or better, over the uh, weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like, yeah, fine. So. No, that was, uh, it was, all of them were like, I'm happy we made the mistakes and we're still here. So that's why I'm happy to tell the mistakes. If they killed us, uh, maybe I would have seen it differently, but then I would have taken it to the next venture or to whatever was happening next. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really like it. And are there in chronological order, one, two, three? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I think the uh, SDR agency was actually the first thing we did. Uh, then we started scaling up ads and um, I think we were still doing that when we hired the consultant. So those were pretty much concurrent. 
Um, Can I venture uh, a diagnosis? <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> from from yeah. So my diagnosis, you're listening to it, is that you started with the agency that approached you and you bought them uh, because they promised you a pile of gold because they have this number of successful, uh, you know, um, executions for other agencies. Then they failed because you provided five uh, personas. So you thought you will do a better job because you already did a better job on other places. It turned out it's not the case because um, of the long process. And so maybe we'll hire a consultant that will help us pinpoint what we want to do for for who we want to sell with with a right persona. And it was a flop because you know them, your persona, because you are like immersed in this sector very well. So it it was a flop because that external consultant didn't have the insights you 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 had so it is my you know bold um diagnosis to some extent correct um sort of i think um the right. sdr agency we <laughs> hired <laughs> we hired the sdr agency because um i had known them for quite a while and okay. uh i know that they provide great work it's just that we weren't re- ready for them not the other way around um so i don't think we I don't think we were promised gold. We assu- like we promised ourselves gold. We we were sure that they were going to enable uh, the, the the valuable conversations. But if you ask an SDR agency to get you calls and you don't even know exactly what the value is, um, because obviously you know your own value, you know what has worked for your agency, but then there's this translation that needs to be made between what you find valuable and how they want to be approached. And uh, obviously, this is the whole problem of positioning in general. Um, we have multiple different customers using our platform, and they all want to be spoken to in a different way. And obviously, at some point, you find out which audience is the largest, and you pinpoint that particular language. But at the moment, we didn't know that. And um, But at the same time, we started scaling up the ads, and we thought that the results of the SCR would feed the inspiration for the different ads. But it turned. But because we could only iterate on those ads every two months we basically couldn't iterate on those ads and um, the consultant was basically for a completely different market but we just let ourselves be sold to in that particular instance we were just suckers uh, as you like we just basically got convinced uh, that that person knew something that we couldn't know mm-hmm. but um, it turned out not to be the case Mm-hmm. I I spoke with one person who um, who has a theory. He he started a couple of software uh, software development businesses and sold them. And he has a theory that mark in in technical organizations marketing should be led by the engineering, so that the insights for the marketing teams should be driven by the insights that engineering teams are. Um, from the problems they are solving. And this should, should saturate the marketing and also that the even even salespeople should be very, very technical because they understand these problems. And I'm not saying this is the case for you, but rather it uh, rings a bell uh, that you are technical guys, uh, you know, technical organization, and the cases should be technical, but put in a way that, uh, you know, they are easy to consume by non-technical people, but in fact they are technical. But the role of the marketing is to m- rough the edges in order for the marketing case study or mar- marketing communication is digestible by non-technical people for the technical reason or for the technical problem. I I completely agree with you, and we have uh, implemented almost everything of this into our own organization with a few exceptions. And and that's only because our product works in a different way slightly, but the overall logic applies. Um, By that, I mean, in our case, it is um, required that our marketers are at least at the same level of sophistication as our users. And we discovered that the people using our platform often aren't as technical as our own engineers. And that's because the platform that we've built is very complex, but we expose it in a very simple way. So we enhance the the capabilities of an agency 
by giving them something so that they don't have to hire somebody for it. And so in our case, the engineers don't have to drive marketing, but it's that marketing has to completely understand what problems the agencies have and what they're trying to fix with our platform, which they would otherwise do by simply throwing bodies at the problem. And these would be very expensive bodies. So that's that's for starters. But then another thing that we actually did notice is that in our case with sales, it is actually the engineers who close the most deals. Um, because in our case, we have multiple touch points when we do an, like, a, like, a, like an actual live sale because we have a product-led growth model where people just sign up and onboard themselves. But we also do white glove onboarding for larger customers or people that want more handholding. And in this case... Uh, usually they start speaking to somebody who doesn't necessarily have all the knowledge, but can at least identify and empathize with the problem. And then it's actually the engineer that closes the deal because they can like completely strip the problem down to its bare essentials, already provide a framework for the solution in the first conversation, and then just start with the project. And um, when we not, when we identified that, I call it the Cristiano Ronaldo um, uh, model. Because Cristiano Ronaldo is somebody who does not have to do anything for the entire match. But the moment you give him the ball, he scores. As opposed to Messi. Messi is organizing the attack. He is also defending when necessary. He's like all over the field. So you've got these two great uh, football players. You've got these two great strikers. They're often compared with each other. But the difference with Cristiano Ronaldo is that you involve him at the end of the, of the process. And that's where our engineers come into play. They We need them to, to basically score the goals, but we'll set up the attack. And uh, when we identified that, everything in our organization became more smooth. With such sophisticated product as you have, it would be very difficult for, a, a, let's say, a lay person to explain all of the value with particular customer uh, without background knowledge on how this is all working because um, of a lot of stuff that is going um, ad hoc during such a conversation corner cases that has to be that have to be answered uh, on the fly and it would mean for them to ramp up with their knowledge it would mean they would have to have a couple of months of I don't know workshops or, or or the learning curve is very steep, and you have sophisticated products. It's not a plugin for sending mass e emails or or, or 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 forms. So this is different different story. I I, I really like the, your example. Yeah. Um, all right, um, Roger. Thank you very much for conversation. This was this was a pleasure to uh, to know what what has happened over the years and also dig into you know different you know uh, I would call it like um, um, entrepreneur uh, entrepreneur path or or or, or road uh, to building product. Um, thank you very much again. All the best, and I keep fingers crossed for for your growth. Uh, of uh, wild cloud i w i really enjoyed having uh being on the podcast thanks for having me on and um thanks for, for for listening everybody thank you if you like what you've just heard don't forget to subscribe for more episodes on the other hand if you've got a question we haven't answered yet feel free to reach out to us directly just go to awesomestudio.com forward slash contact thanks for listening and see you in the next episode of the Awesome to Know podcast.